Ladies and gentlemen, good morning and welcome inside the latest edition of Across the Cavs. It is Sunday, March 7th, 2021. All-Star Weekend is upon us. And of course, we're not here to talk about that because for whatever odd reason, there are no Cavs in the weekend. It doesn't matter, though. They've had an overall strong first half of the year. They overcame a 10-game skid to win four straight. There have been some ups, there have been some downs. They've got three impressive rookies that we can all be excited about moving forward. One who was undrafted, one who got hurt in his first game after missing his entire first season and has come back strong. That's Dylan Wendler, and obviously the number five pick, Isaac Iceman 2.0 Okoro. Here to talk about the first half of the season, about the, the different form of season that it's been is Cavs play-by-play man, John Michael, who really needs no introduction, and it's uh, good to have you back, John. Zach, always great to talk to you. How you been? I'm good, John. How about yourself? How's the, how's the season been for you? Season's been great. I mean, just the fact that these guys are out there playing again, uh, you know, after what the NBA pulled off last year was fantastic. I mean, the, the way that the NBA got it together in the Orlando bubble and uh, was able to get the playoffs in and was able to crown a champion and then rolling into this season with all of the uncertainty, man, it just feels good to, to be able to have half the season completed uh, very limited postponements thus far, all things considered, and uh, looking forward to the second half. Yeah, no question. The Cavs have had three games postponed, although one of them was ended up being rescheduled. They got the second game with Denver as opposed to the original game with the Spurs. The two games against the Wizards are both scheduled for the second half. Best part of last season was probably not only, you know, is there a champion, they got a lot of former Cavs getting a crown including Danny Green, J.R. Smith, Dion Waiters, and LeBron James. Obviously, current Cavs, JaVale McGee, a champion as well. But, John, as most people know, you know, announcers don't travel anymore. And this started in the bubble. I don't – I think the only ones in the bubble were the national folks, and they were only there for part of it. I know – I think Dave Patch might have done a couple of games remotely. People went in and out. But what's the process like? Because, you know, we tune in for a broadcast. You know, we got – you guys are on the air for about what, 10 minutes before. Then we got tip off. So you're in a studio with Austin Carr at, at 10, 15 p.m. getting ready to call basketball. Has that ever happened for you? Have you ever had to call a game so late? Because usually you're just on the West Coast in the time zone of the game. No, that was a new one for all of us, including the producers, everybody in the truck. We always used to tease the pregame and postgame guys who were back east saying, I don't know how you guys do this. You know, how are you still making sense at one in the morning? <laughs> show after the game and here we are having to do it ourselves so uh yeah change the nap schedule a little bit when you're waking up from your nap at about 7 p.m to to get ready for a 10 o'clock game uh it's a little different it, it's been I, I tell you what though I, I was dreading having to do road games from the studio I thought it was going to be you know a huge problem and it really hasn't been that bad you know I and I credit a lot of that to our fantastic folks at Fox Sports Ohio but you know you have all of the camera angles you need your truck even more. You need your producers, your on-site guys to to walk you through situations because it it is on the road and you can only see so much. But uh, it hasn't been that bad, you know. And and, con- and all things considered, like I said, I think we're just thrilled to be calling games at this point. We're, we're thrilled that these games are being played, that we get to be a part of it once again. So uh, really, no complaints, and and it's gone smoother than expected uh, calling the games from the studio when the Cavs are on the road. And as a Cavs fan, you know, there's, there's a lot of things in our daily lives that have obviously changed. But the one thing for me that I've actually been glad at is that it kind of stinks. I haven't called a ton of games myself, so I'm yet to miss a game this season. I'm excited. 
that I'm able to watch all 36, you know, obviously as the announcer, you know, you keep up with everything. And in some cases, some teams, you know, have like the Iron Eagles or the Mike Greens with the Knicks and Nets, you know, they'll have to catch up on games as they're working a national one. But, you know, nevertheless, to be able to watch all 36 has been great. But you no, know, quick, quick question in that uh, regard, Sean. Early in the season, as a lot of us remember, Austin Carr actually ended up in health and safety protocol. So Mike Fratello had to take over for a couple of weeks. So for you, how did that change things? And then kind of what was the difference working with the czar versus uh, Mr. Cavalier in that period? It must have been weird. So I think it was short notice when it all happened. It was different, but in terms of changing anything, it was very minimal. I mean, you know, Mike's a pro. I mean, Mike's been doing this for so long, uh, and he fit right in. You know, Mike lives in Cleveland, so he follows the team. He also does some Clippers games as well, but uh, it was it was virtually seamless, Zach. It was nice to have uh, to be able to work with Mike. It was nice to have him available to be able to fill in on short notice, and, uh, you know, I enjoyed those couple of games. Obviously, you miss AC. <laughs> Uh, there's there's no human like Austin Carr on this earth. Uh, I love that man, and we, we missed him dearly. But uh, in terms of having Mike there, it was great to have him quickly be able to fill in. Like I said, Mike Fratello is a true pro uh, through and through, and uh, I, I thought it was a seamless transition. And it's very cool he got to get on the TV side. Obviously, the circumstance is not ideal for it, but he was a great coach for the Cavs for six, seven years. And we saw on TNT just a couple of days ago where – Grand Hill's connection was so spotty that Kenny Smith wound up popping in to do color for the second half from the studio. So it's definitely been a different season. But one more question before we get into the first half recap. We're going to talk about the Brooklyn game, the second Brooklyn, actually the first Brooklyn game. Nets, Cavs, you know, I was coming in with the expectation of I think the Cavs can compete with this new Nets team. Perhaps the chemistry won't be there. They're undersized. But John, I don't know if any of us could have expected Colin Sexton to do something that hasn't been done by LeBron in Cleveland history, which is scoring 20-plus points in an, straight in an overtime period to beat a team that you were probably expected to lose to. So that, that Colin game, that whole performance from the Cavs, from his late three, from Larry's clutch three, that just all of that, that was an insane moment. I don't even know how else, how else to word that. Both of those games were just super. And again, all the buildup. You know, a lot of eyes obviously were on that game as it was right after the trade was made uh, for James Harden. Everybody wanted to see what that trio looked like together. And here are the upstart Cavaliers at a, a wild double overtime game. And you said Colin was on fire down the stretch uh, and the Cavs won a pair, you know, and it was just fun to be a part of that. And like I said, the, the ratings were really high. No surprise there that Ratings were through the roof in terms of league pass and viewers wanting to check out that game. So it was the right time, Zach, for the Cavs to step it up <laughs> and play that way. You know, those a lot of people said, wow, this Nets team is in trouble. And, you know, and the, you know, when you see a team get together like this for the first time, that's typical. I mean, that you knew that Steve Nash has months and months to get it together. It reminded me a lot of when Kevin Durant went to the Warriors. You know, people said, no, wait a second, there's not going to be enough balls to go around. And they asked Steve Kerr about it. He said, yeah, I think we're going to figure out a way to make <laughs> you know, give us a four-time scoring champion. So we've seen what the Nets have done since then. Uh, you know, and everybody knows that that team tightens it up a little bit on the defensive end. And, you know, they have a real legit shot. So that's, uh, that's going to be a fun team to watch in the Eastern Conference. But, man, you said it, that pair of uh, – that pair of games against the Nets was, was a sight to behold and, uh, and great to be a part of. 
Yeah, probably, you know, other than Alec Burke's game-winning dunk a couple of years ago, the most exciting pair of games the Cavs had against the Nets since knocking them out of the playoffs back, and I think it was 06-07, which was the best team the Nets had in the Vince Carter era. But anyway, back to the Cavs in the first half of the season. So let's start off with the backcourt, John. And a lot was made and has been made since they first got together last year of Garland and Sexton, or maybe they're too small. Maybe they can't exist. And just like we talk about there only being one ball, they're both better with it in their hands, but it's been clear. Garland's averaging about 17 and six assists a game after a tough ish rookie season. You know, it's always tough when you have to transition coaches. Colin's just been out of this world. You know, he had a couple of lows, but he's managed to, I think score 20 plus in 10 straight games something that's probably only been done by LeBron outside of Colin in franchise history. They'll obviously have to do some digging on that, but what have you noticed most in the improvement of the two dynamic Cavs guards? Cause they have been so fun to watch from afar this season. Well, we'll start with Sexton. And, you know, I think all you have to look at Zach is the shooting percentage. And to me, that's where you start with Colin, you know, and coming into this season, it, it's clear, you know, Darius is the point guard. Colin is going to be the shooting guard. And that's something that there was some question about, earlier in his career but he now knows his role he knows what his job is his assist numbers are up you know we've seen stretches where he's been able to get his teammates more involved so I think that all means good things for him Uh, and he continues to be the hardest worker in the gym right I mean he's playing with a chip on his shoulder all the time so I think his progression has been nice to see and you know the Cavs had that mini bubble in Cleveland the teams that weren't invited to Orlando and to a man the Cavs coaching staff and the team said Darius Garland was the best player we had during yep. the mini camp. Uh, and some said he looks like a completely new player. And I agree, you know, he's his assist numbers are way up. He just looks more comfortable. And that's the natural progression when you're a, you know, when you come into this league as a point guard with a grand total of five games of collegiate experience uh, like Darius Garland had. So uh, again, two young guys stepping into their skin, if you will, at the NBA level. And I think it's been nice to watch. Yeah, no question about that. You know, I've loved watching their progression and people also forget. And obviously it's very different, but Kyrie had only played nine games in college before getting to Cleveland. You know, they've had other players that come in on such short notice, really. They have the the college careers are cut short because of injury, but then they, they come in and you can never predict what's going to happen but you know at the end of the day I think that we're very fortunate as Cavs fans to have these two guards and you know all in all though John I think it's safe to say that Garland and Sexton are looking like they could both be around well beyond their rookie contracts and each could ink extensions in the coming years and I think that as uh just someone being around the Cavs that seems like great news well I think that's part of the plan I mean establishing a young core and figuring out who's going to be there to move forward, uh, you know, over the upcoming seasons is a big task, is a big job, is a big, you know, what they wanted to do coming into this season. I mean, that was a big priority. And and I think those two are certainly uh, right there in terms of that core that this front office wants to move forward with. Yeah, no question about that. And they've been using the starting lineup recently. We'll get to that in a second where all five guys are under the age of 24 so that is Redeem Dean Wade being the oldest somehow. It's crazy how that works. That was during the winning streak. But let's talk about the rookies. There are two natural rookies and one, and what I'd like to call a second-year rookie, obviously. We've seen a lot of them. Ben Simmons won, Nerlens Noel, and Blake Griffin, the more popular ones. Michael Porter Jr. last year was a 
second year rookie. That's what Dylan Windler is a guy that gets drafted and Harry Giles as well. Couldn't play that first year injuries. You want to stay fresh and then come back the next year, ready to really jumpstart your career, not be limited. You've seen Lamar Stevens have a game winning dunk against the Hawks, which kind of brought to the basically brought everything he's done this season. Well, to the forefront and kind of gave him that national notoriety he deserved. Isaac Okoro is getting better and better. He had a 15.8 rebound game recently. And Winler had that two-game stretch, nine of nine from three, which if you watched him in college, that should come as no shock. But has any part of the strong play of these three rookies surprised you, John? Or is this something where, you know, you know the reputation of Lamar being just a terrific player at Penn State. We know that Winler can score. We know that Okoro just never gives up. Yeah, nothing has, nothing has surprised me in terms of Okoro. I think the Cavs knew what they were getting with him, um, and he continues to be impressive just in terms of, you know, taking the pressure, taking the job every night of defending the other team's best player. And that's not easy for anybody, let alone a rookie who's trying to establish himself in the league. So I, I think Okoro has been great. Dylan Windler, we did know what to expect, and he's been as advertised high IQ player on both ends of the floor. We've seen that. And I think if anyone surprised me, it would be Stevens a little bit. And I, I, I say that only in terms of the fact that he came into camp, not, you know, not knowing if he was going to make this team, just trying to make an NBA club. And he's turned into a rotation player and a big one for the Cavs. I, I didn't know Stevens was that good defensively. I think anyone who saw Stevens in college knew he could score, you know, four seasons as a Nittany lion uh, that's what he that's what he did that's what he was but defensively you knew he was hard-nosed you knew he was a bulldog type player I didn't know he was this good on the defensive end and could carry his own the way he has defensively so uh, I mean Stevens has been a, a great story a delightful young man too uh, great to have you know on and off the floor so congratulations to him and it's a nice bunch Zach it really is a lot of young guys you mentioned that yep. that starting lineup when you're most you know your oldest player is a two-year pro, Dean <laughs> Wade. Uh, you know, you're you're playing the young guys, and JB has been forced to do that with some of the injuries, and fortunately, uh, you know, for this organization, it's paid off. And have you noticed any similarities between Lamar Stevens and, let's say, the last undrafted number eight? He didn't come in as a Cav wearing number eight. He's worn three numbers as a Cav, but remember, Matthew Delvadova came into the league, chip on his shoulder, didn't know if he would make the roster either signed right after the draft he was a star in college just like Lamar undrafted and he had some big moments his first season do you see any similarities in the work ethic perhaps kind of being around the Cavs when Delhi was a rookie too yeah I'd say the grit is similar I never thought of that to be honest with you Zach but that's it's an interesting comparison that yeah I mean two guys just trying to make a team I remember watching Della Vadova in summer league and thinking this guy doesn't have a chance you know and, and in part because Summer League's so scrambly. You know, the Summer League is just up and down, guys trying to prove themselves, and there's no real system or anything, you know, that you can grab a hold of. Meanwhile, Matt Delavadova in, in a system is fantastic. You know, not to say he's a system player, but to say that when things are organized, Matt Delavadova is at his best, in big part because he is such a good organizer. So, uh, yeah, I think it's an interesting comparison in terms of grittiness and saying, <laughs> I'm going to pour everything I have onto this floor to make sure I make this team. And that's what we've seen out of both of these guys. No, no, no question. Glad, glad it resonates. I've always, you know, I'm a big Del Vadova guy. He was, other than and Kyrie and LeBron, he probably my all-time favorite Cav, obviously. I could name any player that's ever had one good game in a uniform who made me feel like they're giving me the best night of my life, being able to watch them them go off like that. But yeah, that's uh, good to hear that it's it's validated. But 
let's talk about Dean Wade. You know, he's the oldest guy in the starting lineup for the last couple of games in his second year. He only played 12 games last season. He's up to 25 this season. And it's been great to see what he's done. You know, my, my running joke has always been every time the Cavs win, the Cavs are undefeated when Dean Wade starts. But, you know, that unfortunately ended because TJ McConnell decided to quite literally steal one from the Cavs. It was the first uh, triple-double with steals since Mookie Blaylock, as we heard on the broadcast, uh, you and Austin, 1998. But is there anything you saw in practice in the past two years from Dean Wade that would tell you that he was kind of ready for this? Because I would think that, you know, I, maybe this is just me on the outside, but you got Larry Nance, who's become a great three-point shooter. You got Kevin Love, who can shoot. Dean Wade, just being in practice with them, I bet they had some great shootouts. And maybe that inspired him once he got the start to say, hey, I I'm finally have the chance. Let me just do my thing and fire him up. Well, I'll tell you, I saw it more so in the G League last year than I did in practice. You know, Dean was up and down last season, didn't play many meaningful minutes at all last year as a rookie, but did so in the G League. And remember, he shot 40% uh, from behind the line in the G League last season. So, you know, he could he could do it. You know, he could play at that level uh, and hit shots when the games are on the line. And, and that's what we've seen this season. I like that. What I like about him is that he doesn't try to do too much. You know, you want to talk about knowing your role. We hear that about Jared Allen all the time, that he knows precisely his role, doesn't try to do too much. Dean Wade's cut from the same cloth. I mean, we've seen a number of games this season where he's in that starting lineup, he's taking four shots, and he's hitting four. He's going three for four or two for three. Uh, and again, you know, staying, doing what he needs to do on both ends of the floor. So he's been a real nice pickup. I think it goes a long way. You saw what J.B. Bickerstaff was trying to do previously the Cavs were shuffling natural threes into that four spot and Jetty Osmond and also Torian Prince. The ability of Dean Wade to hold down that position, a natural four, just gets everybody back where they are comfortable and back where they want to be. And I, I think it's done wonders for this team. But, you know, JB can't do that if Dean Wade's not ready. And Dean Wade certainly has been. So that's been a, it's a huge part of the season where the Cavs needed wins very, very badly, obviously, coming out of that long stretch. Uh, and Dean Wade was there certainly to help the Cavs get pointed back in the right direction. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. Dean Wade's college career was actually cut a little short. He won five of the final six games at Kansas State. He picked up wins. So you translate that to Cleveland, and his team was 9-1 and one in his last 10 starts from Cleveland and Kansas State. You know, he's had a very good run, and it's, it's good to see that. Last year, now I loved having Alfonso McKinney, but I felt like he was undersized often, and he was a, often also the emergency four. So it's good to have a guy like Dean Wade now more ready, a little bigger. He's had some big blocks as well, some great steals. And it was the first quarter against Philly, I think, where he uh, inter intercepted a pass going to the corner. But – Let's talk about JaVale McGee, one of the few veterans on this Cavs team, oldest guy on the team at 33. Hopefully, you know, he sticks around. You never know what happens in the front office, but he was definitely a thorn in the Cavs side over the years is just, uh, you know, a big body. He was, the Cavs generally didn't have the size to match up with him in the NBA finals when they got together. But what's it been like having JaVale as a good guy, you know, as a, as a guy wearing the wine and gold, it feels like that he's really kind of energized the team and it feels like the bench is probably the most exciting it's been as far as just staying active and supporting in a long time. Well, he's a steadying presence. There's no question about that. And he's, you know, he's won three out of the last four titles. So he, he's on a pretty good personal run right now as JaVale. Yeah. He's brought that veteran presence to the bench. 
And, you know, we know the Cavs have needed it this season with all the injuries, guys in and out of the lineup, the uncertainty, of course, uh, with the Andre Drummond situation. JaVale McGee's been great. And, you know, his teammates have rallied around him. He's been able to rally his team. And, and you hear from his teammates that they say, what is, you know, what's his biggest asset? He knows what it takes to win. He knows what it takes to win at the highest level in this league. And he's brought a little bit of that to this Cavaliers organization. And how important do you think it is, John? Now, let's, let's quickly look back at the beginning of his career. Remember, he was with the Wizards. We heard a lot about his mom, Pamela, who was the second overall pick back in the 1997 NBA draft. Way back when, you know, it was the first draft. She was 35 when she was drafted as the number two pick in a brand new league, which basically tells you how good the basketball pedigree in the family is. But JaVale early in his career was with the Wizards, and he was seen as a really, you know, big athletic guy. Then he was traded for Nene to Denver, fell out of favor with George Carl, kind of put his career in peril and bounced around, I think, with the Mavericks, the Sixers, might have had a cup of tea with the Celtics. But as soon as he got to Golden State, it seemed that he started to find some traction. So how important do you think it is for a guy like JaVale maybe be like some of these Cavs players, you know, this is their chance to prove it. You know, some guys are here on these small contracts trying to show they still belong in the league. How important do you think it is for a guy like JaVale to be there as a shining example of if you work hard, if you stay committed, good things can happen? Well, it's huge. And, you know, he found the right situation for him. You know, if you stay around long enough and keep yourself in shape, and keep your game ready, um, you know, good things can happen. And that it's always a nice example when you see a player like that. And you know, here are, we talked about the young starting lineup. I mean, here are guys in their young 20s looking at JaVale. JaVale's still in tip-top shape, you know, in year 13 of his career. So that's, you know, you want an example. You want a guy who has stuck around and been able to keep himself in shape. And here's what can happen. You can win some championships. Uh, there he is right in front of you. And, and like I said, he's been a leader both on and off the floor. Yeah, no, it's been, it's been really fun watching him. Obviously, he's not going to be playing 25, 30 minutes with a guy like Jared Allen in front of him. He's been great. So let's, let's talk about Jared Allen and then move on to some guys coming back. You know, we knew what he could do before he got to Cleveland. You know, I'm, I'm in the New Jersey area, so I'm watching the Nets often. Whether or not he's blocking LeBron or blocking Giannis, he'll dunk on just about anybody. It's with Ian Eagle calling it, you'll, you know the words, the fro, and you know exactly what you're picturing when you hear that. But he is at a Great career to date. His role was steadily growing with the Nets. Obviously, you know, they, they chased the superstar. Good for them for going for something. Netted the Cavs something great in a big man that's going to be a future all-star. He'll be in dunk contests. And he'll be blocking poster dunks to keep players off of House of Highlights for many years. But what's it been like to see Jared Allen and be able to actually call his dunks with excitement instead of, oh, what a dunk for the other team? He's been, he's been tremendous. I mean, he's just been a delight in every aspect on the floor, off the floor. Um, you know, the first thing you recognize about him is he's extremely intelligent. He's thoughtful. Um, he's, he's fun to talk to. And then you, you know, you take him onto the floor and he's been perfect. I mean, credit the Cavaliers front office for jumping into that trade and they didn't surrender too much. Uh, in the deal. That's no knock on Dante Axum. You know, Dante banged up earlier this season. Uh, he went elsewhere in the trade, but man, to be able to net the likes of Jared Allen and Torian Prince uh, is a big find. That's a big plus for this organization. So he's, I mean, to me in the first half, he's been this team's best player along with Colin Sexton. I don't think there's any question about it. So a huge find. It's a, you know, it's a position that really up until this season, Cavs 
didn't have that for years and years and years, a player like Jared Allen to be able to stabilize the middle uh, on both ends of the floor. So it's, it's, it's a treat to have not only that position filled, but to have it filled by such a good person. And uh, man, I, I hope Jared Allen is a Cavalier for years and years to come. Yeah, no, no question. They tried with Andrew Bynum. They tried with Spencer Hawes actually that same year. Tristan was a very good big man, but has a very different skill set as we've seen. You know, uh, it was great having Big Z for so many years. Then he started to get older. He backed up Shaq. And then once Shaq left, you know, Varejao just couldn't stay healthy enough to really have the chance to hold down the position. Ultimately ended up getting traded and his Cleveland career was cut short. Dre had his ups and downs. The ups were very high, but at the end of the day, you're probably best off with a guy like Jared Allen, who's a proven shot blocker. He's, he's there for you. And from what I, I loved when you guys were, you and Austin were talking to Larry in the last broadcast, he's able to take more chances at the four spot because he has a guy like Jared Allen backing him up. And that's really what I think at the end of the day makes the Bucks successful and will come playoff time. You got a guy like Giannis who, who's going to knock you down anyway. If you try and get past him, he goes for a steal. Look who's there to meet you. 7-1, huge wingspan, Brooke Lopez. But that's the Bucks. This is across the Cavs. Let's, let's talk about three guys that will hopefully be returning very soon, John. The first being Larry Nance. You know, I know every time we tune into a Cavs broadcast, every time he gets a deflection, your stat ready to go. Larry leading the league in deflections. You know, he's been, he's been terrific there all year, whether it's just keeping a pass away or whether it's batting it back to the initial guy, batting it to a teammate or saving it, whatever it is, you know, he's been active. His defense has certainly gotten better. Not that it was ever bad. It just comes with more experience in the league. So uh, John, obviously, you know, you were there for all the games. Cavs had a 10 game skid. How much do you think Larry Nance's defense was missed as the Cavs failed to win for 22 days? Tons. I think it was, I mean, it was essential to this team before the injury and when he was gone, you know, everything you try to compensate for one player like that, a big, you know, a big piece of what this team does defensively, then you start suffering in, in a lot of different little areas. And I think that's precisely what we saw out of this Cavs team, you know, a, a defense that was top 10 in the league, not just for a week or two. I mean, this Cavs team was a top 10 defense for well over a month. Uh, and then, you know, the injuries started to mount and that, that number, that rating started to slide and, and the departure of Larry Nance from that lineup was a huge, huge factor. And to me, Zach, the biggest factor in terms of why the Cavaliers went on that slide. Yeah, he was, and his three-point shot was starting to come along. You know, he's always, he's had flashes of greatness, kind of like his dad over the years with the 15, 16 rebound games. Just like his pop, you know, he was able to play the small forward for a lot of last season when the team was shorthanded. He did it very well. You know, it was a year ago today, uh, John, that you, you and Austin were on the call. The Cavs stunned the Nuggets for a second time. This one was in Cleveland. Kevin Love was terrific. Larry played great off the bench as well. Also, Delhi had 14 assists. We'll talk about him in a second. So we know that his impact, you know, some days he's going to be dominating on defense. Some days he's going to grab every rebound in sight. And some days you know, he'll just dunk on you. And there's so much that he does. And I wish he would even dunk more, but you know, it's, it's about the opportunity. And hopefully I think what happened was the, his wrist wasn't fully healed yet and came back a little soon. And so as a result of that, you know, re-aggravated, it had to miss uh, several games. Hopefully he comes back soon along with his pal, our, our guy, Kevin Love. So when he returns, you know, he's only played two games, John, really one game, and then nine minutes of another game. He got hurt uh, very early in that Philly game, game number three, after playing through the overtimes against the Pistons. 
you know, what would you envision, you know, as a type of role for him when he comes back? Because he's probably not going to be able to, to get those 30 minutes that we're used to. Maybe he is. You know, you given that you got, you know, Lamar Stevens is here. You got Dylan Windler here, Dean Wade, Larry Nance will be back before too long. Still, you got Jetty. So what kind of role do you think Kevin Love will play when he's finally cleared, which I, I would think could even be for Friday if, if we're lucky? Well, Jamie Biggers. Jamie Biggerstaff's been asked that question, and, and the role will not change. Kevin will be – Kevin is the starting power forward for this team. Will his minutes be limited? You know, that, again, is a health question. That's a trainer question. Um, but I I don't think there's any question. He's going to be in that starting lineup. If he can go, you know, as, as many minutes as he was going, uh, I'm sure they'll use him that much. JB has talked about that a number of times, saying we, we can't wait to get this guy back in the lineup. And, you know, my, things may look a little bit differently uh, in terms of the things that they run. Again, you're not running a lot of things for your power forward when you have that makeshift lineup and you have guys going in and out. You know, by contrast, when Kevin's in that lineup, you do run things for him, which is what I mean when things are going to look a little bit different. But I don't think that – I mean, I'm, I'm certain – that that role will not change. He's going to be the starting power forward once he comes back. And, and as long as he can go in a game is how long JB is going to use him. Yeah. I think something that we've seen from both Garland and Sexton this year is the ability to step up in clutch situations. Whereas it's always great to have Kevin to rely on. He hit the shot against the Spurs last year and had a number of other big ones over the years. But, you know, now that you've got so many guys that can, that can make plays for you in tough spots, how important is it going to be? Actually, not, not important. How great is it going to be when Kevin's back? And then, John, you've got your backcourt. You've got a big man you can rely on. You've got so many options. It's small, four to five. The Isaac Coral locking it down, who's a good cutter. And you got Kevin Love. It's, it seems like the Cavs, and I know, I think they lost Indiana was their first crunch time loss where they had, it was within five points. But how important will it be to have Kevin out there? It seems like they're going to be perfect for, uh, for those situations. When you got a big man that can shoot like he can and pass like he can on the floor in these late, late spots. Well, this is what, you know, this is what the Cavs thought they had, you know, in the preseason. This was their team going into the year, minus Jared Allen, of course, and with Andre Drummond. So that was the, that was the expectations for the Cavaliers. You know, one thing that has ebbed and flowed this season has been the ball movement. Not surprisingly, when things moving the ball, the offense is clicking more readily. And I think when you have a player like Kevin in that lineup, that that facilitates that. I mean, that eases the process, not only because you do have another guy who can score in the post, who can score when he's on the perimeter, but he himself is an excellent passer. So I think that in and of itself, you know, I won't say solves a problem, but certainly helps in an area that hasn't always been at that consistent level that JB's wanted it to be at. So I think Kevin Love back in the lineup is going to do a lot of different things for this team, one of which uh, is to continue to improve that ball movement, uh, which needs which needs to get a little more consistent in the words of the Cavs head coach. Yeah, and the point guard spot is – you can't even call it a turnstile because Yogi Ferrell only lasted two games before the, the Jared Allen trade was made. They had to cut him to clear the spot. Dante Exum got hurt, I think, in game number six or seven. It was his second in the starting lineup in the first quarter. He went down like a minute into said game. Delhi hasn't played yet, and Damian Dotson's a lot more of a two than a one. It did win when he was at the starting at the point guard spot, which I give the team a lot of credit for winning with really no point guards available. That's just, They're winning without Garland and Sexton, which is wild to think, but 
Talking about Delhi, you know, Matthew Delavadova at the end of last season, I thought was the player that he always was. He's putting up double digit assists. He was playing great defense. And even my favorite thing about him, give him the ball. He can facilitate. He can back into whoever his man is, create some space so that he's got eyes in the back of his head. He's seeing the whole court, you know, but it, we mentioned, you know, ball movement is inconsistent. I feel like that happens when Darius goes out and he got hurt against Indiana and then uh, no knock on Dotson who did play well against the Pacers, but struggled as the point guard. It, it felt like, you know, no backup point guard, everything kind of went to shambles. So how important is Della Vadova's impending return to kind of calming down the point guard spot? Well, when and if they get a bat, we know what he can do. You know, and again, you talk about wanting that ball movement to improve. That's what this guy does. And he not only, it's not just the passing, it's getting these guys into sets. And I think, you know, people who've been watching the games have seen the influence of Della Vadova. You know, and it's not when once he's come back to the team and been on the sidelines. And it's not, I don't think it's just lip service. I mean, Darius Garland after the game, after one of those games said, you know, Della Vadova saw something out there. He told me about it. We went right out and ran what he what he said. We, you know, we executed perfectly coming out of the timeout a couple of different times. So he's he's obviously he's itching to get back. Uh, you know, we keep our fingers crossed and hope for the best and hope he can get back sooner rather than later. But certainly he's gonna make a he's gonna make a big impact on a Cavs team that, as you said, for a while basically didn't have any guards, had no point guards on the roster, no natural point guards. Thank goodness Damian Dotson was able to slide over it and do so successfully. So yeah, I think everybody's waiting for the Aussie to come back and hopefully he gets it, uh, gets back on the floor sooner rather than later. Yeah, and if not, John, we might have had to throw AC at point guard. You know, he isn't a natural one, but, you know, he's got enough skill. He might have had to play the position. You, you never know what would have happened. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. And then, uh, so one other question on Dell. It's just a personal thing, John. Notice this when you're calling games. You know, you're, you're a big nickname guy it seems so whenever the Cavs play the Nuggets you're a Nick Jokic instead of a Nikola Jokic guy and then when when we talk about Delhi, you're always a Matt Delavadova guy so I guess in the realm of Delhi, when you talk to him does he tell you call me Matt I'm just wondering because for me you know he's, he's more of a Matthew to me I've just never heard anyone else call him Matt maybe outside of his inner circle I'm just wondering if there's an origin story in there <laughs> no I wish there was you made it sound like I'm like there was something uh something there for me to do. but no it just uh it just comes I guess just being familiar with the guy uh and, and being around him for a while you tend to you tend to call him the shorter name but with Jokic some of the you know some guys like Jokic Nick's just easier to say same with Vucevic you know Nick's just simpler to say yeah so I defer to that sometime but uh, unfortunately no story behind okay Matt. But so then when you see him, do you actually say, hey, Matt? Like, do you call him Matt when you guys when you guys see each other? That's a good question. I don't even know. I'm trying to – what <laughs> it's more just, hey, man, good to see you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't ever call him anything. So. No, I'm, I'm with that. You know, there's, there's a certain point. You know, we've all got our nicknames for the people that we know. And, you know, I, I don't get a ton of Zachary's outside of my family. So maybe it's that. You know, the Cavs are tight-knit. You know, you've earned the right, obviously, to call anybody whatever, as long as it's within reason. You're not going to call Torian Tor – or Lamar Lom or JaVale Jav, but, you know, uh, at the end of the day, you know, it's whatever works. And so, you know, uh, all that matters is that, well, for me, he, him being my favorite Cav, that he was able to get the one-year deal. Hopefully, you know, he comes back, he, he gets some minutes. And in the second half, 
gets to show us all exactly why he's still here, which we know he's a hard worker. He's a great passer. And also, John, my final question before we wrap up, I feel like the Cavs have kind of become a lob city of sorts, where obviously they're not as flashy as the Clippers were with Jamal Crawford, Chris Paul, Blake, and DeAndre Jordan. But I feel like between Nance, Okoro, Prince, Lamar Stevens, uh, Jared Allen, you got so many lob throwers and so many guys throwing it down. It feels like they're, they're exciting everybody every night. And that if there were full crowds, the Cavs arena would, uh, the ceiling would be, uh, the roof would be coming off. Yeah. Isn't it interesting too, when you compare it just to a season ago, you know, the bigs for the most part outside of Larry, I mean, Larry was still there, but the Cavs bigs were Tristan love Tristan, but you know, not an alley-oop type guy necessarily, or at least as much as Nance and Allen, Kevin love, Ante Zizic, right? Now all of a sudden you have these guys who can jump through the roof, wings and bigs alike. So it's it's been an entertaining brand of basketball uh, in the first half of the season. Wins, losses, streaks, uh, and everything else. Uh, I think it's a team that's been fun to watch and uh, encouraging signs as we head toward half number two for this Cavs organization. And no, no question about it. Okay, final, final question. We've got All-Star Weekend. Uh, I just want to talk about one event here, which features Cassius Stanley, Anthony Simons, who throws down some big dunks, as we saw when the Cavs met Portland, and Obi Toppin, a, uh, one of the best players in Dayton's history, who was almost drafted by the Cavs where they got Azkokoro. Who is your pick to win the dunk contest happening at halftime of tonight's game, John? Have you given it much Mark it, mark it down. Cassius Stanley. There's your dunk champion. Here's my theory on that, by the way. Whenever there's a player in there who most people aren't familiar with, there's a reason that he's in the competition. There's a reason. Cassius Stanley can get up. So there's my pick. Stanley for the dunk competition tonight at All-Star Weekend. All right, I like that. It's kind of like when Jeremy Evans came in as a replacement for Iman Shumpert and won back in 2012. And then you had Hamadou Diallo, a rookie who wasn't getting a ton of minutes two years ago. But I, I'm going to disagree. I respect the take. I'm going to go Obi Toppin. I also, I like that his full name is Obadiah. I wish that announcers used that more. I think if the Cavs have the Knicks again, you never know. But um, either, I think I think he's just, he's a high flyer. I think that given that he's only playing 10 minutes a game behind the league leader in minutes, Julius Randle, Obi wants to show what he can do as his own man. So, you know, we'll see. It's going to be a good contest. It's going to be a fun rest of the day. But John, it's been great having you on, chopping up some Cavs basketball. Zach, always a pleasure, my friend. Uh, you do great work. Keep it up and uh, enjoy your all-star break and enjoy the second half of the season, buddy. Thanks, John. I'll be listening to you and AC Friday night when the Cavs meet the Pelicans. Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, fun time. But that'll do it for this edition of Across the Cavs. As always, I'm Zach Weiss. You can find me on Twitter at Across Cavs. You can listen to the show on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple, or whatever obscure podcast platform you enjoy.